For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. I hope it's a payday for you. Maybe it is if you're a weekly or a bi-weekly wage earner. Maybe today is the day. Get out and go do some fun things with friends and family. I don't know. Maybe you just want to kind of hole up this weekend, watch some Netflix, get under a blanket, get the fire going. I don't know. But I hope that you're able to do some cool things. But, um, yeah, might be safer to stay inside. You know, it's been a difficult stretch. And um, I've had some people admit on Facebook, I said, you know, Steve, I just wasn't prepared for all this. Uh, we've got a little bit of um, a little of a respite, I guess we'd say. Uh, but we need to prepare for it. It's about to happen again. And uh, hopefully we won't have the precipitation around the place that uh, we've had in, in recent days. I know many of you have really struggled with all that. Uh, it's been uh, nice to have, um, you know, a couple days to kind of go back and restock. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty rough, man. And uh, looking at today, like tonight, the overnight low is going to be back under the 20s basically all weekend. But it looks like it's going to be sunny and partly sunny. But uh, or whatever you'd call it in the wintertime. I don't know. I'm no meteorologist. I'm no Dave Nussbaum. Uh, but here we go. It's going to be really, really cold. Not as cold, I guess, in some respects. But uh, you know, help is on the way, dear. We do have some rain early in the week. You didn't think you're going to get a forecast again today, but uh, things are going to warm up, and um, a little bit. But uh, be careful, be smart, and uh, I wanted to. Um, I don't want to mention any names, but uh, there is a couple from Houston, Mississippi that um, have been extremely supportive to me over the years. And um, they listen to this show, and they probably have no idea that this is coming. And so that's another reason I'm going to protect their anonymity. If you, if you know them, then you'll know. But uh, they had somebody in their family take to the roads this week and uh, had an accident that resulted in a fatality. And, uh, and she was expecting. And um, I can't begin to fathom the, the unspeakable loss. And these are Mississippi State people and um, people that have been awfully kind to me. And so, you know, the Facebook stuff just sometimes seems so incredibly, incredibly, incredibly short of the mark, right? I mean, you know how it is. I mean, people get overrun with things. But um, I just wanted those folks to know that I am thinking about them and, uh, and their loss, and uh, words are just so incredibly insufficient, right? But when times like these happen, it's important for us to love on each other. I mean, it truly is. And I hate to begin the show on a somber note, but um, you know, we've had some people around this state uh, in recent days that um, are suffering with more than little cabin fever, and so it, it really puts things in perspective. But uh, again, I'm not going to mention the names. They know who they are. I love them. And I know that you all do too, even if you don't know who they are. And so please remember this family and their thoughts and prayers. I can't begin to imagine you know, the, 
the expectations. I mean, just the loss of expectations. You're expecting, you know, a new child to be in your family, and then you lose both the mother and the child in a tragic car accident. And, um, you know, it's important for us to lift each other up in times like these. Uh, but uh, just wanted to get that out there because I know they listen to the show, and I want them to know that I care. And I want you to know that there are some people out there that are very much in need of your thoughts and prayers. Uh, and I'm a, listen, I'm a believer in in prayer. I know a lot of other people are like, you know, every time something negative happens and people get on social media, oh, let's just do more thoughts and prayers. And listen, I get it. I get it. Sometimes we need legislation to get things done. But all that understood, the power of prayer is a real thing. It truly is. That's what I believe. You don't You don't have to believe that. Listen to this show. It's not a requirement for membership or anything like that. But uh, I know this. I know when I am, uh, I have been down and I've, I've basically asked people, it's like, hey, you listen, I'm really struggling. Could you use your prayers, your support? And maybe just something about kind of acknowledging that begins to kind of make you feel better. But, um, you know, that, that those are my thoughts on it. You know, you, you support them whatever way you, you, you choose. But um, those are my thoughts. And it's so interesting, too, that uh, it's brought to my attention some people, you know, have some questions about my political views. And I, I'm basically apolitical. I have some political views, but uh, they're not what some people may think because uh, I'm a free thinker. I do what I want to do, you know, and uh, I vote for who I want to vote for. And it's so funny. You know, everybody has this tribalistic nature of things, and it's like, well, if somebody doesn't agree with me politically, then everything they say must be completely irrelevant. And that's just not true. It's just not true. And so we're a maroon state here in Mississippi. That's how we look at it, you know. And, um, you know, I choose to live where I live because I like to surround myself with people that are they're like-minded in many respects. But... Um, but I'm also very open-minded. But all that said, you didn't come here for any political commentary today. You're not going to get any. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. We were in there uh, over the weekend. It's great. It always is. It's packed, too. It was packed. You know, move-in weekend, people getting back on campus. Mom and Dad are here. Hey, let's go to Bulldog Burger Company. And I was on the show earlier today. It's a young man said, yeah, you know, I, I went to Bulldog Burger Company because I heard about it on the Boneyard. Well, isn't that nice to know? Yeah, it's nice to know. And uh, it's been a great marriage for us. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will, too, if you don't already. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Get that great restaurant-quality hamburger. It's one of the few delicacies we afford ourselves. It's amazing. I had the Mississippi Barbecue Burger. I almost went with the Freshman 15. and But, again, I've still got that hankering for the Sloppy Joe Sliders. We'll get in there at some point this weekend and kind of get that handled, right? I love them, man. I do. I absolutely love those Sloppy Joe Sliders. Uh, in addition to that, you know, you can get that dessert to go. I'm a big advocate for that. Uh, but you go find your own favorites. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Guys, you could go put your feet under a lot of tables, but you're not going to leave as satisfied as you will. Hey, Bulldog Burger Company. Great food, great price, great atmosphere. It's an absolutely great company in every aspect. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Good top ten list today, too. Uh, let's see. Let's. Do we want to start with the men? Let's start with the men. Let's start. It, it, guys, it has not been a good stretch. Now, we expected to lose to Kentucky. And so it's one of those things, too, that uh, I know we all hate it, right? 
But when the schedule first came out and you looked up and said, we got to go to Rupp January 17th, and after a pretty difficult stretch here, we penciled that one in as a loss. We got a loss. And at times we were competitive. I thought what we did in that second half, we came out in the second half with some real vigor and really, really played well. We, guys, let me just put it like this. Kentucky is simply better than us. They are. It is what it is. Not going to sit here and offer you some uh, you know, false line of thinking just to make you feel better. Kentucky's better than us. We had to go up there and play in their arena. We hadn't won up there very many times in the modern era. So, yeah, I expected us to lose. But it's easy because we can become prisoners of the moment. You get all caught up and think, you know what, hey, we're not this, we're not that, and I got people messaging me. I don't think Jans is the answer. I think he is. I think we just need some horses. You know, you go up there and you face 20,000 people in Rupp Arena, and their roster, probably just two players on their roster have as many offers as our roster combined. We just don't have the talent yet to go to Rupp Arena and expect to win that game. I hate it, but that's the reality of the situation. But you look up there at the break. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was even telling guys in our work chat. I mean, you know, guys, we're down 18 at the break. I said, we're going to lose this game by 30. And we didn't. But there's no value in the moral loss. We're not going to sit here and say, hey, well, we kept it close. Now, we didn't win the game. And that's the whole point. We want to go win the game. Did I expect to win? No. Did you expect to win? No. But we're thinking, hey, man, we ought to be getting closer to these teams. I think in many respects we are. I think we should have beaten Alabama. And Alabama, of course, uh, leading the SEC. But I think we should have beaten Alabama at home. But Kentucky, arguably the most talented roster we're going to see. One could throw Tennessee in that mix, too. And you get that game at home. But I just don't think at this point in the Christians era, we're ready to take our merry band of Maroons up there to, uh, to Lexington, Kentucky, and come home with a win. I thought Kentucky did a great job kind of neutralizing Tolu Smith for a while. We got him going a little bit later. Tolu, great, great, great game from the floor. But their attitude is like, you know what? We're, we're not going to let Josh Hubbard get off, and they didn't. We're going to make Tolu Smith work. And listen, one of the things that I've noticed, too, when we have to give Tolu the ball up from the spot, it's a tough stretch, man. It is. He has to get the ball higher in the lane and kind of dribble his way in. Not that he's not capable of doing that, but it allows the defense to kind of adjust to him. And uh, it just, you know, they got more athletes than us, simply put. Tolu with 26 points in there, 11 of 15 from the floor, 4 of 8 from the line. Free throw is still not a strong point for us. We weren't getting to the line, simple as that. Just 10 free throw attempts and 8 of them from Tolu. Cam Matthews played 30 minutes. Little foul trouble again, four personal fouls, and that's just going to kind of be the game with Cam, as hard as he plays, the way that he defends. At times, he's going to get in some foul trouble. Eight points for him. Uh, Trey Fort with 13. Good to see it, that contribution from him, but uh, 77 points. But I guess Kentucky is who we thought they were. We pulled down 33 rebounds. They had 33 rebounds. It wasn't like we were getting beaten all the hustle plays. I thought we did a really good job, especially coming out of the second half. But um, – 90 points, and if you recall in our preview, what were they, 90.1 on the season? So right at their season average, Antonio Reeves, 27 points. Excellent free throw shooter, 9 of 9 from the line. They got to the line 27 times, converted 23. Stayed out of foul trouble for the most part. We went right at Aaron Bradshaw for a while, kind of got him in some trouble early, but uh, 
just not a whole lot. Rob Dillingham was electric for them. Uh, 16 points off the bench in 27 minutes of action. But uh, Bulldogs, you know, one of those things, I mean, when you allow a team to shoot 55%, it's going to be tough to win. We shot 44%. We got up 69 shots. They got up 54. And uh, re- they really kind of controlled things. After we made our run there opening in the second half, you know, it took a lot out of us. And then they took a timeout, kind of settled down, had that big three from uh, DJ Jeffries, kind of capped the run and uh, give Calipari and his staff a lot of credit. Uh, they got it done for them. Simple as that. They're just better than us. And sometimes you just have to admit that and kind of move on rather than just sit there and whine about it. But uh, we knew this stretch, this first four games, is going to be difficult. We needed to get South Carolina and one other game. We thought Alabama was gettable. They were. We just couldn't close it out. We expected to lose Tennessee and Kentucky. We get one of two, one of four, so one and three. We hope to be two and two at this point. We're a game behind what we expected, just one game. And we can make that up. That's not going to keep us out of the tournament. And let's not read the comments out of there. Well, nothing washes away the Southern loss. It's true, but we're going to play in a pretty, you know, exciting conference, and we're going to have a chance to win some games here. This Saturday, the Bulldogs in action at 2.30, against Vanderbilt. That's a must-win game for us. Wednesday, we go on the road to Auburn, and then Auburn comes to Mississippi State next Saturday. Auburn playing absolutely outstanding. They've won 10 in a row. And we go to Oxford. We need to find a way to get three of these four. At the very least, we got to get two. We got to get Vanderbilt. We got to get Ole Miss. And uh, Ole Miss, you know, they've lost two in a row now, uh, kind of coming back down to earth. But they're a quality basketball team. Don't get me wrong. Uh, not in any way just going to throw shots at them as well as they play. We just got in the conference play, and some of the best coaches in the conference or in the country are breaking down their film. They're beginning to kind of exploit some of their tendencies. Uh, but, yeah, tough tough to win on the SEC road as Ole Miss loses at LSU. But, uh, yeah, this next four, an important stretch for us, to say the least. we got to get out of January somewhere close to 500 in the league because the next thing you know, you got to go to Alabama. We have a tough time over there. Georgia and Mike White, that group played really well. Then you go to Missouri. Weird things always tend to happen for us when we go to Missouri. But uh, there's no real nights off the rest of the way for us. And this thing's going to be over with March the 9th in the regular season. So we can't sit around and say, well, there's plenty of basketball left to play. That's all theoretical. And I guess in some ways factual. But we got to win some games now. And that's got to start on Saturday. And uh, you look at Vanderbilt. Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. No break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovis, 
That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You have that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Now, real quickly here, 
Uh, we'll kind of take a quick preview of Vanderbilt while we're together here. Uh, pre- pretty impressive uh, you know, roster they put together, but um, it's one of these deals where, you know, anytime you had to go up there and play with the weird configuration of that court, you know, you kind of knew it was going to be tough. But this is a 5-12 and 12 team, guys. You know, some, some nice individual pieces not really playing well together as a team. And I remember when Ben Howell went up there and lost to those guys, and they were absolutely abysmal. It was one of those things we looked at and said, this is just not good. But uh, this is a game Saturday we got to get against a team that's not nearly as athletic as we are. And, again, 5-12, and 0-4 and in the Southeastern Conference. They've lost four away. They're, they have not won a game outside of their home venue. They're 5-6 and six at home, 0-3 and away, and 0-3 and on neutral court. So 0-6 and six away from Nashville. Uh, they opened up with a loss to Presbyterian. That's a tough one, right out of the gate. They get by USC Upstate, take down UNC Greensboro. They get Central Arkansas. But all those games are close. All those games are less than 10 points, single-digit leads. They lose in Vegas to NC State and Arizona State. Of course, uh, we know Arizona State from our, our win over them earlier this year. Uh, up in uh, – I guess we played them in, um, in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, they lose to Boston College, 80-62. to which uh, brought the losing streak to three straight games. They rebounded with a win over Alabama A&M and then lose to San Francisco. The Dons going in there getting a 13-point victory. They get blasted by Texas Tech in Fort Worth in the coast-to-coast challenge, 76-54. They lose by one at home to Western Carolina. You don't expect that. They go to Memphis, but they give Memphis a really good game, but lose by two. 77-75, 77-75, Penny Hardaway still there. They get Dartmouth, 69-53, and, of course, lose to Alabama, 78-75. Very entertaining game at home. They go to LSU. They lose to LSU by eight in Baton Rouge. They're at Pete Maravich Assembly Center. They go to Ole Miss, get beat by 13, and Stackhouse says in postgame that Ole Miss is the best team money can buy. Take that for what you will. I mean, NIL is legal now, you know, so call it for what you want. Coach, it's the world in which we live in. Then Auburn gets some 80 to 65. So, again, 2.30 tip tomorrow. The game we broadcast on the SEC Network. Uh, if you can't make it, we certainly uh, hope that you'll love us from afar. But uh, real quickly here, looking at uh, some statistics as we prepare for Vanderbilt. And, again, uh, let me say it again. We have to win this game, Period. They're averaging just 67.9 points a game, so this is shade under 68. And the way that we play defense, I expect it will keep them beneath their season average. They haven't really beat anybody of note. They have played in some competitive games. But uh, looking at field goal percentage, just 23%. Or field goal, excuse me, 23 made field goals a game. And you look at the three-pointers, just right under seven a game. Uh, rebounding has not been a strong suit for them. Chance for us to kind of exert ourselves a little bit there. Uh, turnovers have been a bit of a problem for them. Uh, giving it up over 11 times a game, only forcing 11 themselves. So the differential not in their favor. It's basically even. Defensively, just six and a half steals a game. And considering the quality of some of the competition they play, you'd expect that number to be higher. It's five blocks, 50 blocks, excuse me, 2.9 blocks a game. But uh, look at some individual numbers here. 
you know, again, you got some guys out there that uh, some of these guys we even recruited, which we know that that's that, that's a difficult stretch because we offer so many kids. Christians has really offered a ton of kids, absolutely. Uh, but uh, Ezra Manjin, a guy that's uh, kind of been the dude for them. Number, where's number five scoring 16 points a game? Uh, Tyron Lawrence, 13.7. Those are the only two Vanderbilt players that are averaging in double figures. So this is not a team that can beat you from all five spots on the floor. You go out there and you control those two guys, you ought to be able to get a W. We certainly need it. And, again, we have to win this game. I'm not going to say it again. You know it. You lose this one, the bandwagon begins to empty out. It gets to be a lot of elbow room on the uh, Mississippi State men's basketball bandwagon. Again, I, again, we're a game behind what I, I expected us to be or hoped we would be. You know, you always expect or hope to win every game. But, again, in SEC play, I thought after four games we would be two and two or we needed to be two and two. Uh, kind of looking ahead here at the weekend, uh, South Carolina is at Arkansas. Alabama is going to be at Tennessee. That will be a fun game to watch. And then Vanderbilt and Mississippi State on the SEC Network. That is a 2.30 tip Central Time, 3.30 Eastern. A&M is at LSU. Georgia's at Kentucky. That could be a fun one, too. Florida's at Missouri. Ole Miss is at Auburn. And you start thinking about this Ole Miss team, too. Again, uh, ranked, got off to the undefeated start, but it's been much tougher sledding here as of late. And then you got to go to Auburn. It's going to be tough. It is. You lose Tennessee, you beat Florida, and they beat Florida to death. And they beat Vanderbilt, and then lose to LSU. So lost two at the last four. But uh, tough game with Auburn coming up. Big game on the uh, Ole Miss schedule. So we ought to be in a situation now where you start beginning to break these things down. You're beginning to kind of get a sense of who everybody is. And sometimes I wonder who we are. You know, what's really our identity? You know, our, our perimeter shooting is improved, and it couldn't get worse than it did last year. But we're still not consistent enough. And as we saw you know, Josh Hubbard having to contend with these longer guards and longer defenders because he is a little bit of a shorter guy, we're going to have to get some open looks for him. And just the rep arena just didn't agree with him, just couldn't get it done uh, against Kentucky. And some of that's the arena, some of that's the atmosphere, and some of that's just the fact this kid's a freshman uh, a little bit undersized guy having to play against some longer guys that can impact the shot a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we're going to need a much bigger contribution from Josh Hubbard, and he knows this, right? And it's a shame that he's in that position that we're having to count on him. But uh, you go back and look at the, the numbers against Kentucky, he's one of 11. Yeah, and one of nine from beyond the arc. I mean, the one shot he makes is a three-pointer, and that's the game. We can't win on the road in the SEC, which is three points from Josh Hubbard. And, again, that's not to put any blame on him or put any pressure on him. But the reality of it is we're going to need him to be a double-digit scorer for us uh, to really be in contention to win some of these games down the stretch. But uh, I read the angst. I see it on social media. I see it on our message boards. And, again, I'll just remind you, we're one game behind what we expected. One game. And you remember how good we were down the stretch last year and how competitive we were down the stretch last year. You've got a good coach. You've got a veteran team. Hang in here with us. Go get us a win on Saturday. We'll start feeling a little bit better about life. We'll get ready to preview um, you know, Florida on, uh, on Wednesday. We'll do that on the Wednesday show. But 
you know, that's a winnable game for us too. You begin to look at all this and you begin to ask yourself, okay, where do the wins come from? Well, how, how would you feel about Mississippi State men's basketball if we dock off Vanderbilt in Florida and back-to-back games and then Auburn comes in here, we've got a little juice, you know, and then, um, you know, we, we have a game with Auburn and then you go to Ole Miss. And, again, that, that's a difficult stretch. But these are games against our contemporaries. we got to find a way to win. That's as simple as we can say it. I mean, it's all about winning games. It doesn't matter how, how, how much fun we have covering the portal. It doesn't matter, matter how much fun we have covering recruiting, official visits and things like that. It's all about winning. You know, Florida 11-6 and six right now, and they're 7-1 and one at home. You know, so the O'Connell Center has been very good to them. But this is a team, again, you look at 1-3 and three in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, they've done a good job. They have uh, as far as scheduling goes. They just haven't been able to turn a lot of those uh, important games in, into wins. But in conference play – and, again, we'll break this down more on Wednesday. They lose to Kentucky. Tough game. They get absolutely destroyed by Ole Miss. They get Arkansas 90-68. to I remember, I remember the comments last weekend, like, man, how did Arkansas get to be this bad? And then they get shelled by Tennessee. So they'll go to Missouri on Saturday, which should be an interesting game. And then we go down there uh, for a 7.30 central tip on Wednesday. So, but, again, your frame of mind could be helped a great deal – if the Bulldogs can pull out a couple wins in a row here and kind of get you thinking, okay, we're, we're okay. We have a good team. We hadn't always played exceptionally well. We hadn't always been the most consistent. But we have a good team. We have a good coaching staff. And so I, I think it's far too early for people to start forecasting failure for the season. Just got to hang in here and just kind of see how things go. All right, time for today's top ten list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. This is a guy that's been in the industry, man, for 23 years. Nobody stays in any industry that long by accident. He's a proven professional. Recently made the move to Priority One Mortgage. The quality of service went with him because Blair is that guy. Blair is the guy that can take your very complicated application and put together a workable loan that has a good chance of making it through underwriting, right? And the best thing to do is let's get pre-qualified. I can't stress that enough. Let's get pre-qualified so you're not out there wasting your time or your realtor's time and things like that, looking at houses that maybe are kind of beyond your means. It'd be nice to have that big castle out there on the reservoir, but, yay, maybe you're not at that point in life. But let's look for something that makes sense. So get with Blair. Call him or text him today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And let's get pre-qualified. Let's get pre-qualified and you can kind of get that letter, right? You know, hey, you're pre-qualified up to this loan amount. And then you can begin searching for properties. Save yourself some time and effort. Uh, but it's good to have a mortgage professional in your corner. He'll be your advocate with underwriting. And they know and they like him because Blair, you know, submits clean loans. So there's not this all this angst and things like that. But this is, can be a very complicated process. Stick with a winner like Blair Chandler. He's a bulldog. Got a place here, season ticket holder, multiple sports. I like to keep business in the family whenever we can. And you can do that by going to closeofblair.com. Be sure and check out the website. All right, today's top 10 list. Uh, our, our buddy on Twitter, Crop Dog, don't know the name, Crop Dog hit me up and he gave me a very interesting topic. And I've been thinking about it for a few days. And it's a difficult list. And I know that there are going to be some obvious omissions, and you may, you may see life a little differently than I do. You may see music a little differently than I do, and that's okay. But he wanted my opinion on what are the top 10 best written songs of all time. Now, 
I stuck with rock and kind of top 40. I didn't do country. I could probably do a country list because we all know the hits, right? It'd be a bunch of George Strait, some Willie Nelson, some Waylon Jennings. You know, it may even work in some uh, Morgan Wallen. I saw something interesting about Morgan Wallen, too. Like that song, uh, Last Night, that was so popular everywhere. It was, like, it was like number one on a billboard charge for like 13 weeks. Crazy. But uh, it's difficult for me to narrow the list to 10. So I got a bunch of honorable mentions for you. I want to start with uh, a great song called Watch Over You from one of my favorite bands, Alter Bridge. And uh, the song Blackbird, of course, is like my dad's song. Like when I, when I kind of get kind of melancholy missing my dad, I put on Blackbird. On that album is Watch Over You, which is a song that Miles Kennedy had written prior to joining Alter Bridge. When he, when he did join on the uh, One Day Remains album, most of that was material kind of left over from Creed. And so Miles was kind of singing Creed songs. But Alter Bridge, Miles wrote and performed much of the material. And so it was really, in many respects, the Genesis album of this great working relationship with Mark Tremonti and, and Miles Kennedy. But the song Watch Over You is so incredibly important to me. It's one of those songs that has helped me through some difficult days. Uh, it's a song about addiction. And it's a song about a, a person having to leave their loved one behind you know, because of addiction. And, um, yeah, just hearing that, you know, kind of evokes a little emotion. But uh, And my list here, you get some big songs on here, but uh, I picked songs that, number one, maybe had a little deeper meaning, but also, too, had some type of meaning to me. If I can read my handwriting here, uh, every rose has its thorn from poison. You know I'm not a poison fan, and it, it kind of irritates me that uh, poison is our most listened to list of all time, but you guys love them. That's fine. Every Rose Has Its Thorn. It's an incredible song. We've all felt those emotions. My favorite Poison song, though, is actually something to believe in. Yeah. Uh, Hotel California. I think that's one of those. It, it, it didn't make my top ten. And people are going to say, Steve, how could it not? Something great's going to get left out. Uh, the Night They Drove Old Dixie Down from the band. That's another great song. A song that tells a story about Virgil Kane. It's Great track. How about Same Old Lang Zion from Dan Fogelberg? You know this one? You should. It's one of these stories, you know, guys getting ready to leave a bar, and all of a sudden he runs into his old high school sweetheart. They sit down and talk for a little while, and, but nothing ever changed, right? I mean, it's like, hey, it was good to catch up, but I'm going to go back to my regular life. Uh, Dream On from Aerosmith. How about that one? We talked about that on the show before. It's a song of inspiration. You know, it's encouraging you to be empowered, to continue to have dreams in your life, to have ambition, to do something besides lead an accidental life. And a more modern song that I want to give a shout out to uh, our bulldog, our country music superstar, Hardy, who recently lost his grandfather. So our condolences go out uh, to Michael and Mike Hardy and everybody out there in Philadelphia that love uh, the Hardy family. I love the song, Give Heaven Some Hell. Absolutely love it. Uh, it's it's so well written, and uh, Hardy is an incredible songwriter, and, and and not just because of recency bias. I mean, I think this stuff will stand up, but uh, the song Give Heaven Some Hell is a really, really great song. So here we go, our top ten. Number ten for me, it's Wild Horses from the Rolling Stones. And I know the Sundays did an amazing rendition of the song, but there are a couple of live versions out there on uh, on YouTube, and I love YouTube because you can people keep uploading stuff from old concerts, things like that. So there's always like fresh material. 
not just all this new stuff of people being silly and you know hurting themselves and things like that but uh, sometimes these classic concerts make their way out there and there is a live version that the stones do when this song and sticky fingers was just incredible when it was on the radio regularly and uh, I, I love the song i love the sentiment behind the song it's about somebody loving somebody else you know, wild horses couldn't drag me away uh, but it's an amazing song lyrical content is among the best in the stones catalog number nine I remember being a kid and watching this on Sesame Street. And you know, Sesame Street is kind of where we learned not just our ABCs and our 123s, we learned about life. And they would have musical guests from time to time. And I couldn't believe that Stevie Wonder was blind after watching him perform on Sesame Street. I said, There's no way. Well, he is. And Stevie Wonder is a genius. And they played superstitious. And, uh, even as a young kid, it made such an impact on me. It's like, look at, the, the good time these people are having. They're playing this incredible song, and everybody, Big Bird and Grover included, everybody's vibing to this great track, and all these years later, it's still with me. Of course, Stevie Ray Vaughan did a great rendition of it, but nothing's better than the original. Stevie Wonder, a musical genius, one of the best songwriters of my lifetime. But to me, Superstitious is the one that kind of gets me going. Number eight, a song that... Um, there's an incredible story behind this. Uh, Mariah Carey wrote this song initially about David Cole. Now you say, well, Steve, who's David Cole? Well, David Cole is one of the C's in CNC Music Factory. The other is uh, David Cabellas. After David Cole died, Mariah Carey began to write this song, and uh, this felt like that the chorus needed to be shared with boys to men. They, she reaches out to them through their people, find out they're actually writing a similar song with similar chord changes and similar arrangement about their former tour manager. And so they get together and the songs just meshed perfectly. And the result of that was One Sweet Day. And uh, it is one of those songs, I don't know, even if you haven't lost anybody recently, this is one of those songs that really elicits a lot of emotion. The harmonies, and I love harmonies, and you should too, are among the most angelic things I've heard in life because of the, the sentiment behind the song. Absolutely incredible song. I saw a stat that it was like on the Billboard 100 chart for like 5,000 days. You start doing the math on that. It, what? It's incredible to think about that. But, you know, we're always losing somebody, and there's always some song out there that just kind of perfectly captures what we're experiencing this is one of them. One Sweet Day from Mariah Carey and Boys to Men, number eight. Number seven, going a much different direction here. A lot of people didn't like this song. It was controversial. It was like we're celebrating being incarcerated, and perhaps we were. We're talking the jailhouse rock from Elvis Presley. How could you do a top ten list without having Elvis Presley? The greatest songs written of all time. You know, Hound Dog was his biggest hit, but it's a cover. And Elvis did a lot of covers. Jailhouse Rock was great. What's interesting, too, is in my research for this, I did some research on Jailhouse Rock, and uh, they talk about the, you know, the Purple Gang, right? The, the whole rhythm section was a Purple Gang. The Purple Gang was actually a real gang, right? A real gang. And some of the names mentioned are real people. And so there's a little more depth to this song than I think maybe you, you think. The guitar on this is great, too. And I don't mean from a technical standpoint, right? It's not Eddie Van Halen or Yngwie Malmsteen or 
Mark Tremonti. But it just finds the pocket, man, and it's just such a great groove, right? The guitar, to me, really sells it. And the percussion on this is great, too. And this is the jailhouse rock, in many respects, was kind of the precursor for what we began to enjoy in the 70s and 80s. And even the Beatles themselves said that jailhouse rock was a huge inspiration on them. We'll get to a Beatle a little bit later in the show. Number six, uh, Lindsey Buckingham is one of the best songwriters of all time. Uh, Stevie Nicks, one of the best performers of all time, regardless of gender or, or genre. Stevie Nicks is the queen. And this is a song that they wrote, collaborative effort. You think about McFleetwood, Christine John McVie. It was uh, it's a super group. I mean, these were incredible musicians. You didn't have anybody not carry their weight in Fleetwood Mac. And that's why it's so timeless. And this new generation of music listeners, our children, and eventually our grandchildren, for some of you already there, they've embraced Fleetwood Mac too. Because great music is timeless. And, you know, things like Gold Dust Woman, you know, Silver Springs. I mean, it's like Stevie Nicks had such a way to resonate her message with other people. We could have gone with Dreams here. We did, and we're going with The Chain. And part of the reason we're going with The Chain is that little outro guitar solo Lindsey Buckingham does, just pick him with his fingers. It's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. You go back and you begin to think he's not using a pick. Are you crazy? It's nuts, man. And the song itself... Absolutely remarkable from start to finish. And I love John McVie's little bass plays on this. Oh, it's so good. It's like when they're getting ready to ramp up at the end, all you hear is John. It's great. Great, great, great. The chain from Fleetwood Mac. Number five. Couldn't do a list without Elton John. I recently watched uh, Almost Famous. Are you familiar with the movie, the Cameron Crowe movie? You know, where it's like his teenage kid. And uh, one of my dear friends, it's his favorite movie of all time. It's Here's the thing, too. When I was a young, aspiring writer, I really couldn't play guitar that well, and I wanted to cover music and things like that. And so I wanted to write for Rolling Stone. I did. thought it would be amazing to write for Rolling Stone, to sit down with these uh, amazing musicians and kind of talk about the stories behind the songs. And, and so Almost Famous kind of reminds me of that. I would have given anything to be that dude, man. And, of course, he originally writes for Cream Magazine, and he gets this great story. On the mythical and musical band Stillwater, we've talked about them on the show before. Uh, but it's worth watching. If you've never seen Almost Famous, I'd encourage you to watch it. And, um, yeah, of course, uh, he ends up getting a, a job as a freelancer with Rolling Stone to write a song about, or write a story about Stillwater. So uh, it's a great, great, great movie. Uh, but it, it, it elicits some emotion for me watching that because I think to myself, that, that's who I wanted to be. Now, I get to be that guy from Mississippi State, and so that need to me is kind of satisfied. But um, there's a scene when they're, everybody is kind of in conflict there's been this, uh, I won't give it away, but there has been some, some conflict in the house of Stillwater. And they're riding in the bus, and all of a sudden, Tiny Dancer comes on from Elton John. And everybody begins to kind of sing along to the song. And um, what really struck me during that moment is we almost take for granted what an incredible songwriter Elton John is. And people talk about politics and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. The art that this man has created 
in my lifetime is among the best songs ever written. Now, you could have gone a lot of different directions here. We could have gone Candle in the Wind, and that's what probably most of you were expecting. I didn't. I went with Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Just an incredible song, basically a plea, you know, a prayer in many respects. Uh, George Michael did an amazing rendition of this. But when I go back and look at these lyrics, and you can pull the sheet up and you listen to the song, it really gives it new meaning when you actually look at it on paper. And you begin to think about the incredible genius of Elton John. That's number five for me. Don't let the sun go down on me. Although I search myself, there's always someone else I see. Number four. You knew we couldn't get too deep down the road here without Leonard Skinner. Ronnie Van Zant, kind of raw as a lyricist. Some of the songs that Ronnie wrote and performed really resonated with the crowds. But a lot of those songs aren't as timeless because of the lyrical content. A lot of it's because of the great play of Alan Collins, Gary, the legend Gary Rossington, and Billy Powell over there tickling the keys, and Leon Wilkerson on the bass, Artemis Powell on the drums. The musicianship in Leonard Skinner was next level. And a lot of times people looked down on them because they were so uniquely and deeply Southern. You may not know this. I think maybe I've shared this with you. I have an Alan Collins T-shirt. A very tragic story with Alan Collins. I'm going to top ten list about Alan Collins. But he wrote Freebird. And the opening line to Freebird, everybody knows it. If I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? Do you, you know where that came from? I've told you before. You may not remember. When Alan Collins and his wife were arguing, it's what she asked him. If I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? And I can't begin to imagine, you know, the desperation in that message. But it clearly resonated with Steve, and it became an incredible song, and the signature song of Leonard Skinner. And I submit to you that uh, Alan Collins' guitar solo is among the best of all time on that song. Alan Collins is a guy that was a very tortured individual. Alcoholism was a huge part of his life. And uh, it ultimately claimed him. Kind of took some time because he had a, an accident drinking and driving that killed his girlfriend. You, you, it's, a, it's an incredible story. It's a very sad story. And he ended up being paralyzed. And um, rather than go to prison, he went out there and talked about the dangers of drinking and driving before Leonard Skinner shows and then eventually died of pneumonia, which is one of those uh, byproducts of, of being paralyzed. And um, so, yeah. So he died, kind of the fallout from that drinking and driving accident, going to get more beer. Crazy. Number three, one of the greatest songs of all time. I, I think, I don't know that anybody could argue against this. We don't have any true Beatles songs on the list. And I know that there's a friend of mine right now who is losing his mind and pounding his dashboard as he listens to me say that. It's true. But John Lennon's Imagine is number three for me. I think it's some other, there are some Beatle purists that don't like the song. I, I think that's ridiculous. But when you begin to think about the message behind the song, it's one of unity, right? And a lot of people didn't like the politics and, you know, hair love and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, the love ends and things like that. People just didn't get it. John was a different level thinker in many respects. He was a hippie at his heart. 
And this is one of those songs just like, hey, you know, what, what if we could stop all this nonsense and let's just be free? It's a battle we're still waging today. Number two, easily the most recognizable Queen song of all time. Easily, right? And we want to thank uh, Wayne and Garth for ushering it into a new generation for us when we were you know, in our early 20s. It's Bohemian, Rap- Bohemian Rhapsody. If you haven't seen the movie, you should. I love the band, love the movie, and I'll tell you, I could not, when I first heard that this was finally going to be released, I told all my kids, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. And I uh, took all my kids to see the great Freddie Mercury. And uh, again, you may not agree with his politics, you may not agree with how he lived his life. He was uh, a man of excess and lived a short life, but again, one of the greatest front men of all time in music. And it meant a lot to me. I remember, uh, you know, I've told you guys before, the first record I ever bought with my own money was Queen the Game. I took my birthday money to McClellan's, and I didn't know about tax. I thought they were ripping me off. It's like, no, it says it's, uh, you know, $10. No, it's going to be you know, $11 or whatever. And so my stepdad had to uh, pay the tax for me. And uh, important lesson there. But Queen has always been a part of my life, and uh, I remember it was such a special moment to be able to bring that record home and to be able to listen to Another One Bites of Dust whenever I wanted to. And you get deeper into it. That's the thing about album rock, right? It was like you bought the album. You know, the single led you to buy maybe the 45 or the cassette single, and you went back and bought the whole album. And they used to have these uh, samples, like when they did the cassette singles. I'm getting off track here, but... Um, there was some, some power and majesty knowing that I could listen to Queen whenever I wanted to. When like it is today, you know, used to we'd have to call the radio station and request a song and then hope they played it. And usually those jerks wouldn't even play it. Oh, we'll put your vote down for our top eight at eight. Well, I want to hear it now. And I remember when uh, WFFF, uh, who was uh, the, the, kind of the flagship station in my hometown, I worked at WCJU. And so they were competitors of ours. But when I was a kid, I called up there, and hey, let's hear Pac-Man Fever. And they go, so I'd have to go open this thing up and look up the number and push the number in the computer. And I'm thinking, you know, technology is supposed to make all this stuff easier. But they were trying to uh, basically get DJs to just be on their commenters rather than actual DJs. But uh, things were different. But uh, you couldn't do it. But it was just so great to be able to, to own the music of Freddie Mercury. Even thinking about it now, I get chills thinking about it. It's like you know, I was just eight years old, and th- and Freddie Mercury was to me the guy. He was absolutely the guy. I went to go watch the Flash Gordon movie because Queen did the soundtrack. That, that's what I wanted to go. The Flash, oh, it's Flash Gordon. Oh, Queen did the song Flash Gordon. That's what drew me in. Which is a weird movie. It's fun to watch, but you know, of course, it's you know. Our special effects back then weren't very special. But uh, I, would, I remember going to watch the movie with my family, and I was so excited to hear Queen play Flash Gordon. He'll save every one of us. But Bohemian Rhapsody, an absolute masterpiece from start to finish. Number one, though. Guys, it's got um, to be the Pet Shop Boys, right? No, it's not. It's not. And it's not a Molly Crew song either. It's not even 80s hair metal. It's one of the greatest songs. It's the, some of the greatest poetry ever, ever, ever written. It's Stairway to Heaven from Led Zeppelin. What else could it be? 
other than Stairway. If you go back, I would encourage you to, even if you just like sing along to the song, one day when you don't have the music on, just go read the lyric sheet itself. And you will begin to see what a masterpiece this is. And there's articles out there written kind of explaining the lyrics because a lot of it's written in cryptic form. And you can find out what a sprinkling for the May Queen is. But once you kind of learn some of this, it takes on a different method. And there was an article that I, I, my wife has been a Led Zeppelin fan her whole life. I mean, like when they did the senior videos at Adams County Christian School, everybody had to get up and kind of say something silly. And then the last, you had to say like your parting comment, my beautiful wife, the last thing she said was Led Zeppelin rules. And of course, Led Zeppelin had been broken up for a while, but Led Zeppelin rules, right? Did I marry well or not? Absolutely. But I sent her this article one day that kind of explained in great detail what Stairway to Heaven's about. Like he broke down each and every lyric and explained, and uh, it changes the context of the song and made me love it even more. Because before it's like, well, these are all interesting words, but I didn't know the meaning behind them. And once you learn that, all of a sudden you begin to see this song in even greater majesty. So Stairway to Heaven, incredible. And I remember when the Jim Baker scandal happened, and they were—I think it was uh, one of the news shows—I can't remember—and uh, when they had Tammy Faye Baker getting off the airplane and kissing the ground, and they played that last part from uh, the live version of "Song Remains the Same." When they record, when they when Zeppelin recorded, excuse me, when they recorded the live version of "Stairway to Heaven," they said, "And she's buying the Stairway to Heaven." Perfect, absolutely perfect. But "Stairway to Heaven" is one of those perfect songs from start to finish. And again, I'm sure somebody's going to hit me up and say, "Steve, you left this one out." And you know what? We got a big catalog to work with, right? I didn't include Billie Jean, and and I think what we may do is come back next week and we'll do a top ten like R&B songs of all time. Because I would like to do some Michael Jackson stuff and some Prince stuff. Uh, but this was really kind of more rock stuff. And then I worked in the One Sweet Day thing just because the song is so special. So on Monday, I'm thinking that's what we're going to do. We're going to come back. Maybe we'll do some Lionel Richie. I could talk about Guys, i got Lionel Richie's greatest hits in my car right now. Of course, I don't listen to CDs anymore. But I have it. I have it. The Commodores. You kidding me? Come on now. That's it for today's top 10 list. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out, let us know. Best way to do that is to hit up Roy on Twitter at dogmatic67. It's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can find me on all forms of social media at ScoutSteveR. If you send it to me, I mean, I get it. But if I do, I, I just forward it to Roy so we can put you in the queue. But I appreciate, we got a bunch of ideas here as of late. And I don't know what's happened, but uh, I appreciate the idea is some really good ones too. And so, again, thanks to Melanie Moody earlier this week for our cold list. And uh, thanks for Crop Dog for today's suggestion. And when you want credit, I'll give it to you. And if you tell me not to give you credit, I won't. But if you don't, I'm going to put you out here. I am. We're going we're to shine a light on you. So, again, great top 10 list today. I hope you enjoy that. And I uh, hope you enjoy that as part of a, of, a, of a very uneventful weekend where maybe you get some rest. Our next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Man, Campus Bookmart, I love Campus Bookmart. You should love Campus Bookmart. If you don't already, what are you doing with your life, right? <clears throat> There's not a better selection of Mississippi State merchandise anywhere. Miss Kathy Brown does an amazing job outfitting that entire operation, whether it be online sales or in-person sales, with the best Mississippi State merchandise around. Whether you're looking to 
build a Mississippi State room, whether you're looking for Mississippi State merchandise to wear, uh, to fill out your closet or your chest of drawers. I don't know what your needs are, but you can find whatever you need at Campus Bookmart. If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. All right, I want to step outside of the Mississippi State world here for a second and uh, talk about what's going on with Sports Illustrated. Got a little insight into this because uh, the group that managed or mismanaged Sports Illustrated is a group that uh, I used to work for, yeah, with Scout.com. And so let's bring us up to speed here. Uh, on, this is an email that went out to all the SI employees. It's making its way around social media. So I can't verify its authenticity, but based on a reaction, we believe there is a, a reasonable assumption that this is an accurate email. Dear all, on Thursday, January 18th, we were notified by Authentic Brands Group, ABG, that the license under which the Arena Group operates Sports Illustrated and SI-related properties has been officially revoked by ABG. As a result of the license revocation, we will be laying off staff that work on the SI brand. All impact employees will receive severance pay and will be entitled to any applicable warn or notice period outlined in the union agreement. Some employees will be terminated immediately and paid in lieu of the applicable notice period under the MOA. Employees with the last working day of today will be contacted by the people team soon. Other employees will be expected to work to the end of the notice period and will receive additional information shortly. We appreciate the work and efforts of everyone who has contributed to the SI branded business. Now, we have friends that work for SI. And uh, I remember being a kid and uh, being an aspiring sports journalist at some point in my life. And you know, we had subscriptions to Sports Illustrated and a sport magazine. It was the greatest day when that magazine showed up. I read it cover to cover, read uh, what Rick Riley's comments. It was always the back page of SI. And uh, what has happened in recent years, it's not been good. And uh, you guys may be aware of this, maybe you haven't been. They've been using, like, AI to write articles, like your game recaps and things like that. That's kind of the wave of the future because it's like it, AI just kind of can regurgitate a story, kind of give you the facts of what happened. And uh, they even set up Twitter accounts for these fake writers. And then stuff would be sent out. Of course, these people didn't exist. And so it really called into question the credibility of their organization. So I don't know all the details behind uh, the revocation of the branding, but the, uh, the group, formerly known as the Maven Group, uh, is a group that managed Scout.com for a while. And so when they finished up, to kind of give you some backstory, when that group came back in, with Scout. We were with Fox Sports for a while, and I was employee of Fox Sports in addition to Scout.com and Gene's page. You do what you got to do. You got to piece it all together. Got to pay the mortgage. Then the people that eventually became the Maven Group came back in and really began to kind of change some things with how we did business. Some of it was very positive. They had some vision about video content, that we want to monetize video content. And they were really kind of ahead of the game with that. 
there are a lot of people out there they're like, no, 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 I want my transcription I want to read. And so then it became both things. We had the monetized video content and the transcription of press conferences and things like that. And so that was an important part of it. And then they, they wanted shorter videos because it's kind of like reels today, right? You just sit around and watch a 30-second, 60-second reel. Uh, they wanted us to u- utilize that to kind of increase our social media profile. Well, things didn't go as well as they should have. And the next thing you know, we went to work for a company called the North American Media Group. So we go from Fox Sports to this, you know, this group that became Maven, and then the North American Media Group. And at that point, we didn't know what the future of our our industry looked like. We didn't know what the future of our company looked like. But the people that were involved with North American Media Group did a very good job taking care of us. Next thing you know, we merged with 247 Sports. Uh, that proved to be a really good thing for us at jeanspage.com. Uh, there's a lot I could tell you about the merger that uh, I won't because I don't like to discuss how the sausage is always made. But the advertising mediums that we had or have with 247 far exceeded anything that we had with Fox and certainly anything that we had with Scout. And so all of a sudden... We had a financial windfall in many respects. We were able to add staff. We were able to keep staff. I mean, we had a lot of people making a living uh, through jeanspage.com because of the fact that um, the advertising mediums were put in place. They were, they were previously unavailable to us, and the existing staff hadn't done a ton of that. You know, we had done some, so we were able to bring our insight because of the fact at Scout, video content had become a big thing. And so we're able to make that work for everybody. And everybody made some money on that. Everybody was That's what fueled the payroll for everybody, is our content, video, and written. And so it was incredible to me that the realization of once we merged with 247 and we became, you know, partners with them, became the affiliate, I was like, well, this, this thing is such a good business model. You know, there's no reason that we should ever fail, provided we produce enough content and uh, you guys absorb that content. And so, I guess a year after we had merged with 247, the folks at Sports Illustrated reached out to me. Said, hey, we're going to be expanding our team content. You're our guy. You worked with us before. We'd love to have you back. And I just, because of the fact that where we were, where we landed was such a soft landing spot and so much more lucrative for us. I was like, well, why in the world, now that I'm free of this, you know, and now we're in a position to use the skills that we've learned over the years to be able to make money, why would I leave again to go work for the people where we didn't make quite as much money? We did okay, right? But we did, but financially, our business didn't thrive. And so I turned it down. And so then they asked me for some recommendations. I gave them some uh, some names. They ultimately hired one of those people. Um, and then when they got ready, when that, that person left, I'm not going to mention names. Then that person left. They called me about another individual, and uh, I told them I didn't know much about them, but um, I would watch, you know. I would do my best to kind of help a little bit. And um, it was pretty apparent that, the business model that they had in place was just simply not sustainable. 
And uh, so that so again, basically, SI decided, hey, we want to be like, you know, two four seven and on three and ride with. We want to have you know presence on the beat, day to day coverage of the team, and that's just not what SI was. That's not the SI that we all kind of grew to know. And so, you know, print media is not what it once was. It's all digital. And you can still deliver the same product in a, in a more timely manner now. I, I, I like having the magazine, you know, but I, I love being able to read on my phone, too, or read on my desktop like you guys do. And so they didn't really adjust. And that was the thing that was so amazing to me. It's like, hey, you know, even some of the people that were scout employees that came with us 247 went back. And uh, I remember thinking then, well, why didn't they take the know-how that we had learned from working with CBS Interactive and maybe change some things there? And now here we are, where a lot of people that have worked very hard uh, for a company that maybe did not give them the resources or the monetization to move this thing forward. And so I don't know what it means for Sports Illustrated, but I know this. If the email is to be believed, and we certainly um, believe that it is authentic, there are a lot of people that woke up today that thought they had a job when they went to bed last night, and they don't. Now, the media industry, obviously, is not uh, you know, immune from layoffs. But I hate to see people that I care about, the people that are my friends and my colleagues and people that I know, people that I read, uh, have to deal with all this and so i just wanted to give you guys a little bit of insight into that because there's going to be some changes now what does that mean moving forward is sports illustrated finished i, I think the whole idea of having ai write articles not only is it um, incredibly incredibly out of character for what you expect and the coverage that you deserve I think it's such a shortcut to simply be a clickbait organization. Does it make sense? I think that's a whole a big part of it. It's like, hey, well, this is an easier, softer way. Let's just do this. And basically what they're saying is you're not a good enough writer. We can get a computer to do what you do. We can get a computer program to write up your little game recap. And there may be some truth in that. But let's be honest, And as a writer and you know, a six-time author, I can tell you that there's not a computer out there that can do what I do as far as eliciting emotion from my readers. A computer can't capture the moment. It can give you the facts, but it can't paint the picture. Because the computer, even if it's present at the event, and you know it's not, doesn't have the ability to soak in the ambiance. So there's no authenticity in those reports. Now listen, as I've shared before, there's a difference between reporters and journalists. And there's a difference between writers and authors. There's a difference. There just is. You know, the reporters can write you a game recap. Well, here you go. Here's what happened. Here's who scored. Here, you know, a computer can handle that. But can a computer go out there and write you a player feature? You know, about a kid? There was his dream to play baseball or football or basketball at Mississippi State or run track or play golf. Can they take that moment and they, can they tell you his story or her story in a way that you say, you know what, I feel a sense of kinship with this individual. Well, yeah, you can say, okay, well, hey, 
you know, John Smith played at Tupelo High School, and he had these numbers, and this was his stats, and he was a team captain as a senior. They can regurgitate the facts, but they can't tell you who he is or who she is. And so I think, again, you take the easier, softer way. People are going to reject that. I think you actually have to go do the work. Uh, but more importantly, I think it's just a sad day. It's a sad day for our industry that a giant publication, really of our youth. I mean, right, remember when it was a big deal to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated? You know, like it used to be a big cover to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. It was a big deal. And many of you would go order those SI covers and give them as gifts or get them signed and things of that nature, and you'd have this piece of memorabilia that was timeless. And now it appears it's going away from us. It's a very, very sad day. And so I just ask you to have a little grace with those people because there's a lot of good people today that woke up that won't have a paycheck going forward. There's some talented people out there. They'll find jobs. Uh, but uh, I know that we've had uh, the little SI affiliate here on the Mississippi State B. They hadn't had, haven't had really much of a presence since Joel Coleman left to go work for the university. And I love Joel, um, but they hadn't done much, you know. And so I think that's really part of the issue here, is especially at a place like Mississippi State. There's only so many seats at the table, right? I mean, let's just be honest. And we've had a good run of it the last several years because we hadn't had any real competition, and so. It's difficult to break in, you know, when you've got you know people like myself and, and Dave Murray and and Mike Nemeth that have been around for decades now. It's difficult for you know there's an upstart. Not to say there's not some talented people that are very young and doing a great job. I'm not in any way trying to disrespect anybody else on the beat, but as far as online internet journalism through a network, it's difficult to come in and start something different. I mean, it's just there's name recognition. It's so difficult to do that. And so I share that just because of the fact that, number one, obviously we made a good decision with our business not to return and to stay with 247, and we've had opportunities. We've had opportunities in the last year. Uh, but uh, we're happy where we are, love the working relationship, but there are a lot of people that I care about, a lot of people that I worked with before that got some bad news today. And um, thinking of them, and I, I ask you to do the same. All right, let's uh, talk about this women's game a little bit here. It was uh, certainly a tale of two halves, wasn't it? I think we all would agree. Not at all what we had hoped for, maybe what we expected. But, uh, you know, I bought in after the first half. I said, hey, we got, we got a good chance here. And uh, just absolutely abysmal finish uh, for our Bulldogs. And much like the Chris Jans thing, I'm not off the Sam Purcell bandwagon. Uh, at all but we get off to that great start 23 12 in the first quarter and you look at this and think hey some good things are happening second quarter they cut into the lead a little bit 18 14 quarter but the decisive quarter was the third period tennessee outscored us 21 to 5 in the third quarter and the fourth quarter is 24 22 but the game's decided at that point Second half, just not, not at all what we needed it to be, especially in that third quarter. But uh, looking at third quarter, maybe, maybe you're familiar with these numbers. We're two of 13 from the floor. One of those a three-point basket. We even missed both of our free throws. It's an abysmal, abysmal period. And, and things changed dramatically. 
that ultimately decided a game. We had 30 points in the paint, 11 off turnovers, 7 second chance points, 12 fast break points, 6 off the bench. Uh, that's not going to get it done. But we're going to need some players to step up here. We had four players in double figures last night. But defensively, we weren't at all what we needed to be. You begin to break it down yourself. You can see uh, Aaron Barnum, 15 points for us. Five of ten from the floor. Five of six from the line. Pull down 12 rebounds. She's your player of the game. But I don't think anybody could argue against it. Uh, Debrisha Poe. Three of five from three-point line. We're five of 15 as a group. She had three of those five uh, conversions. But, uh, you know, Jessica Carter, a dozen points, five rebounds. We're, in games like this, we need her to play bigger. That decisive third quarter for Tennessee, nine of 18 from the floor, 50%, knocked down a couple threes, kind of took the crowd out of the ball game. They shot 42.9% for the game. We shot 41 you say, well, what's the difference? Well, you know, we're 5 of 15 from 3. They're 5 of 21. They did a good job getting to the line and converting. We go 9 of 14. They go 16 of 23. But at the end of the day, they out-athleted us. And that's not something that um, that you can fix uh, with a scouting report. Uh, they're better than us, but it's still a game that we should have won. Absolutely. We're 15-5 and five on the year, 2-3 and three in the conference. Tennessee 11-6, 4-1 in the conference. Uh, but, you know, just not a good second half. And so a lot of people immediately, you know, start criticizing uh, Sam. I just – my attitude about that is this. He's in year two. Last year he basically played with somebody else's players for the most part. Hit some – hit on some in the portal. You know, Lauren Park Lane's done good for us. But uh, – you know, we got to do better. And uh, we go to Florida on Monday. We'll talk about that a little bit on Monday's show. So no Sunday game. We'll be at Florida. And then we get LSU back here. And so you start looking at this and you start thinking, okay, okay, Steve, we're 2-3 we're and three in the conference. Got to be 500 or better to give ourselves a realistic chance here. But you start counting down the numbers here. Let's say you win at Florida, lose to LSU. You're not gaining ground. We have had a difficult time, even when Vic Schaefer was our coach, at Kentucky. Now, we're going to be playing in Rupp now, but a, a much different environment. We go up there. They've done a great job. And then you go to A&M, Georgia comes here. And so a pretty important stretch here uh, for the Lady Bulldogs. But uh, not a great result by any stretch of the imagination. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Got to win some games. You know, all, all this stuff in a non-conference is cute. It is. But the measure of your team is determined on how well you play in conference. And right now, we're not playing exceptionally well in conference. And again, a difficult stretch to open for us, much like on the men's side. But uh, there are no off nights. And again, that Vanderbilt loss, even though Vanderbilt's a much better team this year, is one that kind of looms large. We had won two in a row and beat a pretty good Ole Miss team, won at Arkansas. But again, it's a reminder that we're not where we want to be. We're not. And you start looking around the league here and you kind of begin to realize, too, that, yes, it's early, but with the parity in this conference, we're going to drop some games. I think we all kind of – we all know this. But the flip side of it is we got to win enough to get in the tournament again. And uh, I won't forget the job that Sam Purcell did down the stretch last year. Uh, but looking at the weekend, for those of you that keep up, Ole Miss is at Georgia. 
uh, Missouri at Kentucky, Vandy's at Tennessee, Alabama's at Auburn, South Carolina, number one South Carolina's at Texas A&M, Arkansas's at LSU, number 10 LSU. Maybe haven't been quite what people expected this year, but uh, still a very, very good team. Looking at the standings, it's just a much, you know, we're right there in the thick of things, but uh, we could fall out of it pretty quick. Now you're, you know, you're right there two and three at the, at the cusp of the, of the second half of the conference. Again, South Carolina 4-0, LSU 4-1, Vandy 4-1, Tennessee now 4-1. And, and then you kind of get into our contemporaries, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Alabama, Mississippi State, Missouri, all with two wins in the conference, half of those 2-2, two and two, the other half 2-3. and three. Florida 1-3, it's a game we got to win. Kentucky one and three, a game we got to win. Georgia's Auburn, excuse me, Auburn's one and four. Georgia's one and four. We got to win both of those games. You got to beat up on the bottom half of this conference and kind of push your way back into the top half. But um, I just encourage a little patience here. People just kind of hanging here with uh, with Sam and the ladies. We've got a good team. We had some injuries earlier this year that kind of hurt us in a couple of non-conference games. Of course, the loss to Missouri, to Miami, and, and Chattanooga. But, uh, you know, we got to find a sense of ourselves because nobody's going to feel sorry for Mississippi State. A lot of people still remember, you know, those Vic Schaefer years, and we would just beat people ungodly. At some point, the chickens come home to roost. Nobody stays on top forever, not even Tennessee, as we've seen. But, of course, with Kim Mulkey at LSU, it's a new power. Don Staley, of course, uh, not going to show you any mercy either. The good thing is, um, you know, we, we shouldn't have to play them again until we get in the SEC tournament. But I still think we're a tournament team. We're not a shoe-in by any stretch of imagination. We're certainly on the bubble. Got to continue to work through some things here. Uh, But, again, I just encourage our fans to have a little patience with Sam and the staff. I'll I'll call it like it is. I mean, I I think it's a situation where have we been inconsistent at times? Absolutely. But if we can just kind of get everybody together, get Jessica Carter playing up to her potential – knock some shots down from outside. We've got enough players to compete with anybody in this league, I think, other than South Carolina and perhaps LSU. And as we showed in the first half of that game last night against Tennessee, you know, when you come to Starkville to play, you better bring a hard hat because we're going to get after you. And, again, that third quarter, they made some adjustments and came out and just absolutely smacked us. Absolutely smacked us. And that ultimately proved to be the difference in the ballgame. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Just Google Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Google is your friend. Not as good as it once was, but it still works. Google Stark Vegas Clubhouse, and then all of a sudden their Facebook page will pop up. You can go look at all the amenities, the pictures, five bedrooms, a couple bathrooms for you, the wet bar. If you're bringing a big group to Starkville, don't go waste your money on five hotel rooms. Go with the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Have everybody together. Have those common areas where you can sit and watch TV. You can dine together. Full kitchen area. Go buy some groceries. Stock up for the trip. Be able to make breakfast. You don't have to constantly run the town. It's just five minutes from campus. But how convenient would it be to you know, make your own meals? Not that we don't have some great restaurants here in town. We do. But uh, to be able to you know, have some snacks and things of that nature, it's just so much more convenient. If you book through the Evolve website, we can save you 10%. Now, you can book through VRBO or Airbnb. You can. Maybe you've got it like that. You don't need a discount code. But if you book through the Evolve website and use promo code BSR10, we'll get you 10% off. How cool is that? 10% off just by being a listener of this show. Yeah, outstanding. So much more affordable and so much more convenient and so much more comfortable. 
right? Instead of having to go down to that hotel lounge and have everybody kind of interloping into your conversation, you can just have like a home away from home with the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Be sure and check them out today. All right, let's talk a little baseball. I wrote a piece yesterday. Last time Air Force was at Mississippi State was 2008. We won that series two games to one. Uh, big Sunday. We had a doubleheader on Saturday. We split it at a big Sunday game where State had 19 hits. Jason Nappy hit his third home run. A lot going on. It wasn't a great year for us, but that's the last time we've, we've uh, faced those guys. Now, this year's team is going to be largely dependent on the production of newcomers, right? Now, we've got some established players. Like I, I could run the lineup down for you right now. Barring something unforeseen, Ross Highfield behind the plate, Hunter Hines at first, Imani Larry at second, David Marchand at short, Logan Kohler transferred from Memphis at third, Bryce Jansen left, uh, Connor Hyzak in center, and Dakota Jordan in right. I expect that to be your defensive lineup. Now, who the DH will be will likely depend on the pitching matchup, right? But this team is going to be – we're going to need some transfers, especially on the mound. And, uh, you know, we feel like we've done a pretty good job there. Uh, you know, we do. You know, maybe not as good as we wanted. And I think that's a fair characterization. It's probably not as good as we wanted, but um, – Hopefully it's good enough. D1 baseball rates the Mississippi State transfer class as 24th in the country. Not elite. Not falling too far behind. But, you know, when you don't go out and get a frontline starter, it's kind of what happens, right? Uh, you know, the guy that we really chased and the guy that we really thought we had a good chance to get, of course, was Luke Holman from Alabama who went to LSU. Now, a lot of people tell me he's probably not our Friday night guy to LSU. Probably a Saturday guy there. We'll see. You know, we've got to get into practice to kind of see how things go. But, uh, you know, we didn't face Holman last year. But the guy's a good player, you know. Um, you know, Chase Burns, guy we chased, ended up at Wake Forest. We didn't get him. I don't know that he was a Friday night guy, but he's a guy that certainly would have helped us. You know, and so now you got to figure it out. You know, Kate Smith is gone. And now you've got, you know, Cal Stevens, of course, Carson Ligon. Uh, you got a lot of, a lot of names to kind of – in the mix here. It'll be eager to see what um, what Lamontis and Parker ultimately tried to decide to do here. But uh, 25 is Arizona State, 24 Mississippi State, uh, Louisiana Lafayette 23rd, Houston 22nd, Clemson 21, North Carolina 20, Oregon State 19, Georgia Tech 18, Troy 17, Oklahoma 16, Coastal Carolina 15. And again, they're a top 25 preseason team. Uh, Auburn at 14, Georgia at 13, NC State at 12, Florida at 11, uh, TCU at 10, Kansas 9, Alabama 8, Ole Miss 7, Arkansas 6, Florida State 5, Texas A&M 4, Tennessee 3, LSU 2. So a lot of our of our conference opponents, Wake Forest from one, ahead of us in a transfer portal. And uh, listen – did we do well? Yeah. Did we do great? No. And, again, you look at the whole Braden-Montgomery thing. If you end up getting Braden-Montgomery and Holman or Burns, all of a sudden you think, hey, this is a top ten transfer class. The main thing is that I say is that we needed to kind of supplement what we were deficient last year. You guys know how difficult it was last year defensively on the left-hand side. And it's interesting, you know, Slade Offer went to Georgia – uh, it'll be interested to see how that works out. Maybe a change of scenery is good for him. 
you know, wish him the best. But uh, at times last year, it was a bit of a struggle. I mean, let's just kind of call it for what it is. Defensively, uh, he was not what he was billed to be. And there were a lot of people on the team the season before that said, hey, you know, hey, this guy's an elite defender. If I remember the numbers correctly, we had 11 double play balls hit the third base. We converted double play one of 11 times. I think that's right. And, of course, uh, you know, Lane Forsythe. I mean, you know, Lane was a guy that was an elite defender for us. And then I don't know if he got the yips. I don't know what it kind of happened pressure-wise, but he wasn't the player he had been defensively. Well, now that's gone. Dave Marchand, of course, uh, a better offensive player. I think he has more upside uh, than Lane. And we didn't need Lane to go out there and be a dominant offensive player, but we needed him to contribute. There were times last, last year he did early in the year. We got an SEC play, and I don't know if the defensive woes got to him, but he just wasn't the same player at the plate. He was a guy that watched way too many called third strikes too. But uh, we needed to retool the left side of the, de- the defense we have. Logan Kohler, of course, a guy that comes in from Memphis. We expect him to be a double-digit home run guy. And I've had so many people in college baseball that says Kohler is a great addition to this team. He's not going to be the flashy guy, but he's going to make the routine play. And how many times last year were we incapable of just making the routine play? Over and over and over again. And that's not even counting the balls we couldn't get to you know, because we were kind of limited range-wise over there. But uh, Kohler, a guy that's a veteran, uh, is he going to be an all-star for us? No. Do we need him to be cold and lead better? No, we don't. We just need him to go out there and be a veteran hitter, get us double-digit home runs, driving some runs, and play a solid round of defense. And you know what David Marchand means to this team? I mean, you saw it last year. Once he got on the field and you saw the effort in which he played with, he became a fan favorite. And he's such a guy, too. He's a rally starter. He's always in the middle of things. But in order for us to really take a step forward, you know, we're going to have to have these transfer pitchers step up. And we don't even have to be great if we can just be good. And I think we've got enough players to make us good and potentially really good. Again, Nate Dome is a guy, I, I think he is such an X factor for us. Is he a weekend starter? Or do you decide to him to be the first guy the bullpen? Is he the guy that comes in and puts out the fire on Friday, maybe gives you an inning or two on Sunday to help cap a series? I, I don't know. But I like having the luxury of Nate knowing that I can move him as I need to. Hey, if I need him to be a weekend guy, then boom, he's a weekend guy. But the fact that we've added some other pitchers like Carson Lig, and we were careful with Carson in the fall. You know, he's full go now. We were careful with him. And Cal Stevens, a guy that knows Nate pretty well. We've got options now. There were times last year we didn't have a lot of options on what to do with Nate. We just knew that he was the guy that probably gave us the best chance to win. And so you had some injuries, so you had to insert him into the rotation. And then you pull him back out when some guys start getting healthy, you know. But we don't have an Aaron Nixon, and that's one of the things that, that probably the, the biggest concern that I have with this team is how do we piece it together on the back end? You know, we knew in 2021 that Landon Sims was going to be our guy. We, we knew this. We, we knew that he was going to be a back end piece. We didn't know he was going to be the dominant force that he proved to be. And, of course, we go out there and play Texas, and he absolutely just dominates those guys uh, in the, in the, you know, the, out of globe by field. And we thought, hey, this is our guy. And then, you know, we, there were some other guys we tried for a while, and then eventually we said, you know what, we're going to go with this. And that's what I expect this year. You know, somebody will emerge to be the guy on the back end. Is it Stone Simmons? Could be. Could be Stone. Velo's picked up a little bit. He's a veteran guy. Going to be a little bit rusty. 
you know, but, uh, you know, maybe in the non-conference we begin to kind of settle that role. But I, I think the pieces are there. Let's say we get five or six innings from a starter. I think we can bridge it to the back end. We just got to have somebody on that back end to go get us three outs. You know, Nixon last year, of course, was a little bit banged up, but uh, there were other times he was absolutely electric when he was out there. And, uh, you know, him signing a free agent deal is probably, to be honest with you, probably the biggest loss of the offseason for us. But you got some other dudes. I'm eager to see what this team looks like. I checked on the roster yesterday. It's just not quite ready. They guaranteed me we have it for game one. Yeah. So hopefully before then. I know some other teams have already put their roster out there. And, uh, you know, some changes we've got to make. You know, red shirts don't count against uh, your 40-man roster. So we'll, you know, we'll see. Maybe that's a decision that we're trying to get into uh, practice and kind of figure out. Maybe there's some guys still in contention that uh, we're still kind of figuring out where they fit. Do they help us this year or do they redshirt? I, I don't know. But I know that there are a lot of young guys out there that are chomping at the bit. And I can tell you from watching so much fall baseball, we have some guys that uh, are going to be pieces for us. I don't know if you saw the perfect game list that came out. Talk about these talented freshmen. Of course, uh, Makai Grant is done for the year. Didn't pitch him much at all in the fall. It's like, oh, he's overused him. No, we barely used him at all. I don't think he had one stint that went more than an inning. Luke Dodson's a guy, too, that can help us as a designated hitter. He's a guy also that can help us on the mound. Dylan Cup, of course, is an elite defensive shortstop. Noah Stevens also makes the list, just cuts in at 71. Uh, that's a guy, too, a little bit limited in the fall. Could be a left fielder for us, could be a DH for us. We've got some very talented young guys coming in. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And some of those guys are going to have to help us. Now, you remember what we had last year at Dakota Jordan? We started him out in a three-hole, right? And I wouldn't have done it. I'll just kind of call it for what it is. But once he got back in the lineup, Bryce Chance had a tough time getting back in the lineup. Well, now you have both of those guys. Is Bryce going to be a power hitter? Absolutely not. But he's got a little bit of the clutch gene with him. But uh, I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm ready to just kind of wash the bad taste of the last two years out of our mouths, Right. I know Chris Simonis feels the same way. Yeah, Chris is a competitor. Chris has taken us to the highest points, right? But I can tell you, I mean, the, the demands this year on this team are going to have to be met by pitching. And it's so interesting, too. Like, let's take a little trip down memory lane real quickly. As a staff last year, are you ready for this? I, I don't know if you are. We walked 321 hitters. 321. We did. It's a ton of them. Aaron Nixon only watched, only, only walked 10, right? And it seemed like uh, I think three of those came like in his first appearance, if memory serves me correct. We only had 16 appearances on the year, 10 walks. That's a bit much, but, it, you know, good numbers when it's all said and done. Bradley Lawton was a freshman. We expect big things from him. We still do. Little do we know last year he was kind of dealing with some uncomfort and they had to shut him down, but – Guys, he had 28 walks. And it, it, there's a time there he led the staff. You know, before, you know, and, again, just seven appearances on the year. But Bradley Lofton didn't forget how to pitch. We just had to get him healthy. That's a guy I expect to be a big part of things this year. Maybe starts out in the midweek. Maybe works his way into the weekend rotation as the year goes on. Uh, Nate Dome, our friend. Because you know, that's the thing. There's this, there's this collective opinion 
that everybody struggled to throw strikes last year. Guys, Nate, Nate Dog had 12 walks last year. 12. He had 17 appearances, which is the second most on the team. Maybe you're unaware of that. It's true. KC had the most appearances. But Nate Dome, the second most appearances on the team, and he walked 12. 12. Left a couple balls up and got punished for it. But Nate didn't go out there and walk the ballpark. Well, he's back. Brock Tapper no longer with the program. Kate Smith longer with the program. Will Gibbs banged up in the fall. Hopefully he'll be back. Evan Sierra is a guy, too, that got better as the year went along. But Evan Sierra, right? He had 12 walks last year. 14 appearances and 12 walks. Maybe forgotten. Maybe. Now, Gerangelo, 34 walks. That number's got to get better. I think some of that's just getting him comfortable. Colby Holcomb, 42 walks last year, which led the staff. He's back this year. And if you saw him this fall, you can see the strike throwing ability is there. I, I think a lot of what happened with Colby last year, I think it's just philosophically he and Scott Foxhall were on different pages. Yeah, I know Colby's a guy that likes to throw his change up, but you know what? You know, the analytics say that change up shouldn't be as good as it is. And so we didn't throw it. We didn't call it. But Colby was a guy that put a lot of people on base. But this is a guy that a lot of people are like, you know what? Mechanically, when he figures some things out, this guy's got a chance to be a big leaguer. I expect a big jump from him this year. I really do. Casey Hunt, 33 walks last year. Uh, Tyler Davis, 21. That's way too much. Tyler Davis has not been the guy we expected him to be. We, we, we hope things could change with him. Uh, Graham Eichma, 18 walks and 13 appearances. He's gone. Logan Forsythe, just eight walks last year. He had seven appearances. Tyson Harden was the guy last year with just 11 walks. And so I, I say this because there is this false opinion that everybody on our staff struggled to throw strikes, and that's not true. We did. We, Durangelo, way too many walks. He was also a freshman. Colby Holcomb, way too many walks, also a first-year Bulldog. But, uh, again, I, I, I blame some of that just on him and Fox not being able to G-Haw. And so, but I just wanted to kind of correct the record here. We're bringing some of these guys back that maybe, maybe didn't get as much swing and miss as we wanted, but they didn't walk people the way that I think sometimes people, you know, suggest. It wasn't just a staff-wide issue. Now, do we, do we need some help? Yeah, we did. But, again, we don't have to be great. We just got to be good on the mound. And the thing that I think about, too, and, again, I think – and I say this, and sometimes I know it hurts people's feelings, and that's okay. There are a lot of people that love baseball that don't know baseball. And there are a lot of people that know a lot more baseball than me. I'm not going to sit here and suggest – you know, obviously guys have played at a much higher level, but you know, I played and coached baseball, coached high school baseball. And I, and I can tell you – one of the things that I've learned about this, and uh, you don't have to be Earl Weaver to know this, dating myself with that reference. When my pitcher goes out there and can't get his defense to play well behind him, his mindset changes. He just does. And then all of a sudden you start nibbling a little bit. When you don't trust your defense, all of, the, all of the, the pressure of the ball game shifts to the mound. 
That's how it works. And the guys that can handle that demand mentally are very successful. The guys that can't struggle a little bit. And then they start thinking, man, I got to strike everybody out. Then you start being too perfect. You start nipping. Mm -hmm. You start doing a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense. Because you feel like in order for us to get out of this inning, I've got to do it all by myself. You want to see the guys that go out there and pitch exceptionally well is when they know that those seven guys behind them with gloves on are going to go make the routine play and sometimes make the spectacular play. So it all kind of works together. Yes, there are some guys mechanically that have to make a change. Colby Holcomb was one of them, and you saw him this fall. For those of you that went out to the fall scrimmages, you probably would agree Colby Holcomb looks better than we've ever seen him in a Mississippi State uniform. Gerangelo, really good starts. Had one start that he kind of lost the release point and just wasn't what he wanted to be. But by and large, he was a guy that was very, very good. And so I, I just want to point that out because as we begin to get into this thing about baseball – and start breaking some things down. Sometimes we paint with a broad brush, and we think everybody last year that pitched for us was rotten, and that's just not true. And so now it's Justin Parker to figure out, hey, who can I trust? Who among these newcomers gives me a real opportunity to win a ball game? And what can I do movement-wise or mechanical-wise with some of these returning guys to maybe fine-tune the delivery a little bit. And you know what? If we go out there in the first month of the season and those guys are not throwing strikes, then we've got some guys to replace them. You know, we hadn't had that the last couple of years. But when you go out there and you commit as many scholarships as we have to pitching, uh, you got to get better. And it, clearly it's an issue. Again, defensively, we, we're better. Offensively, we expect to be very good this year. But uh, this team's going to be as good as its pitching is. And I think with Justin Parker here, a guy that prioritizes strikes. And if you go back, look at the ERA last year in the Southeastern Conference. You know what LSU did? They won an Eiffel Championship. Number two on that list, South Carolina. Did you go look at the draft numbers for South Carolina? It's not like he had a Paul Skeen. It's not like he had a roster full of studs. He had some good college pitchers, and he formulated a plan to help them be successful, and they were. They absolutely were. That's going to do it for today. If you haven't done so, go to winthebottomfalls.com. You can get the Win Bottom Falls booked, and most of you need it, or you know somebody that does. You get signed copies through the website at winthebottomfalls.com. All my sports titles are also there. That's Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Dog Pile. Go order today and get signed copies available everywhere, and uh, you know we'll, we'll get you taken care of. Stark Villains gear always available at starkvillains.com. You probably wish you had a Stark Villains hoodie earlier this week. Go take care of that right now. Go to StarkVillains.com, order yourself a Stark Villains hoodie, and have that thing ready to roll the next time it gets cold, which is coming soon. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.